We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me already. I'm verified, so I don't even have to read that part of the show anymore. Uh, Chris, go ahead and talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. All right. Uh, we have a special, special, special guest on this episode of Seahawks Man to Man. I'm really excited about this. Been excited about it for a couple weeks now. Uh, he covers the Vikings uh, for us at The Athletic. He is Arif Hassan. Arif, what up, dog? Hey man, I'm I'm not that special of a guest. Let's de-emphasize that uh, part. No, 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 no. Here's why we're gonna emphasize it. People who <laughs> people who don't know, I want you guys right now to you're listening to this show probably on your phone. I want you to open your Twitter and go follow Arif right now and thank him for being an honorary member of Seahawks Twitter. <laughs> Because I don't know, can we can we get in that for a second? How did you become? Because you are. I don't know if you want to acknowledge it or not. You're like an honorary member. You're not like in the Seahawks medias, uh, in that sense. But you are an honorary member. And I, how the hell did that even happen? Well, the first answer is I don't really know. But the <laughs> second answer has to do like way back in like 2013. Um, when uh, when the Vikings signed, uh, actually it was even before that, it was, it was, uh, when they traded for Percy Harvin in 2012, um, when, or right after 2012, so I guess in between. So uh, the Vikings traded for Percy Harvin. I wrote uh, a piece breaking down Percy Harvin, and in, in my usual fashion, it was like 4,000 words or something crazy like that. Um, you know, because I thought he was a fun and special player, so I wanted to talk about him as much as possible. I wrote that for field goals, and they and they posted that. Well, the Seahawks just kept signing former Vikings, right? You know, like Tavares Jackson and Antoine Winfield and Kevin Williams. And so they were like, well, Arif, you should write a piece about that. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll do that. And so I wrote a piece. And so I just kept on writing pieces about former Vikings. And so the joke just got around that, oh, I'm a Seahawks writer now. And then... As a joke, we, it, the the wildest, most expensive joke, they flew me out to Seattle for a Viking Seattle game. They paid for it. Um, just a bunch of people with PayPal, right? Oh wow! And, 
Yeah, right. So, like, I can never complain, right? Because they, like, paid for a flight for me back when I was blogging before it was, like, a full-time job, right? Um, so, yeah, and so, like, I, I've kind of always had to, like, take it on the chin, which, like, you know, a fun, a bunch of fun tweets every couple of, of weeks, you know, that's definitely, like, worth it. And now, um, every every year, or I guess every time the Vikings play the Seahawks, so every year, um, uh, we've started organizing a charity drive for a... Uh, a um an organization uh called the lavender rights project uh which provides uh legal services and legal education to um uh people in affected communities so uh you know queer folk or or you know trans non-binary lesbian bisexual gay um or, or people who you know identify out of the out of the heteronormative spectrum um to provide them with kind of the legal resources they need because there's a really great organization here in minnesota and there's not as far as i can tell uh, a very similar organization that does that that um, has the same impact so that's important to me and we've been able to do that for the past two years so i'm really happy about that Man, I didn't know that the, the the history of Arif as part of Seahawks Twitter went back that far. Uh, that's actually kind of dope. Which game did you get flown out to? Uh, they all kind of run together at this point. <laughs> um, it was well, it was a loss for the Vikings, but I think all of them have been. Um, but it was a Christian Ponder game, so it must have been 2013. Oh, is that so? Adrian Peterson was killing. I think that's at that time, right? I kind of remember uh, that. Well, I mean, Peterson was having a good year in 2013, but he, he was destroying people in 2012 was this 2000 ah, okay so. yeah wow i did not know i mean it's it's great to it's great to have you as part of the whole like because seahawks twitter is a very strong place like that they, they they just i don't know how strong they are relative to other fan bases they're probably not the loudest but man they, they get things done which is like a weird thing to say about a bunch of <laughs> random people just a bunch of people on twitter yeah, yeah it's, no, it's, it's it's really it's weird one, it's one of the most vocal team twitters for sure and the reason, the other reason I was excited to have you is because you you wear a lot of hats for us at at the athletic. Like, don't just cover the Vikings. Like, you are a AAF guy for like however long the AAF was a thing, uh, and that may seem like irrelevant to a lot of people. But like, man, I had to write about some AAF people and I knew nothing, <laughs> right? So <laughs> I had to hit you up. I'm like, yo, tell me about you know this guy. And even now, you you do like a, a players of the week column. Um, your your big board, um, your consensus big board before the draft. Uh, this year was like that, and Dane Brugler's um, what does Dane call his big thing? The beast. The beast. The beast. Between yeah. your consensus big board and Dane's draft guide, I felt like freaking Todd McShay. Like, <laughs> just <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing uh, anyone could uh, could tell me. So like, between having your Seahawks insights, um, and uh, having you know just the overall knowledge that you have of the NFL, appreciate you joining us, man. So we're gonna get into one of the worst uh, teams of football, if you don't mind. <laughs> If I'm forced to talk about the Vikings, I will. Well, let's just talk about what's been missing with this team. Why would you point out their struggles? I mean, is it what can you say that ah, this is the point that they are struggling the way they are this season? Because I remember reading a preview that you wrote, a preview that you wrote. You were saying that you wouldn't be surprised if basically all the teams finished somewhere between nine and seven. And it's right now, it looks like the Vikings are on pace for seven and nine or nine and seven. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was, uh, you know, breaking it down, there's a lot of points of uncertainty for the Vikings, and initially they all just kind of went the other way, right? You know, you have to replace Stephon Diggs, uh, and for the first couple of games of the season, didn't look like they they had that replacement. Now, you know, Justin Jefferson's coming on. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. But um, you also had three starting corners, and they all go 
elsewhere in free agency, right? Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander go to the Bengals, uh, and Xavier Rhodes goes to the Colts and is, like, playing lights out, I guess. Uh, and so, um, you know, three starting corners, it doesn't matter how many draft picks or how many free agents, and they didn't bring in any free agents. Um, if you just got, you don't have guys with experience in a system as complex as Zimmer's, and Zimmer insisted that he wouldn't be changing the system for these guys multiple times, uh, you're going to have a lot of struggles because it's one of the most difficult positions to learn generally, and then, you know, you hit this system, uh, and it's and it's already you know that multiplies you know those problems so that was going to be an issue uh the vikings had phenomenal injury luck last year they're one of the least injured teams in the nfl um they've been hit with the injury bug this year plus they had a COVID opt-out from a key free agent uh and so yeah i mean a lot of it's just personnel turnover some of it you know it's like it's time right the vikings had a pretty good year last year uh and and some of that just wasn't sustainable for a lot of reasons so that was going to come crashing down but then there were a lot of points of uncertainty that just went the wrong way for the vikings you know it's the Seahawks are kind of unrecognizable this year in like a good way in that like they're throwing more than they're running and like that's the good way. Then the bad way is that they have Pete Carroll and they have a bad secondary. Uh, I kind of see the Vikings in a similar light. Like it's a little bit unrecognizable to see this head coach, you know, with a bad you know or at least a not a, a not good defense and that one that also traded for like Yannick Ngakwe. Like how, what the hell? What's going on? Yeah, and, and Zimmer said it, like, I've never had a bad defense, he said, when we were like, man, there's some problems here that you might want to solve. Uh, and and uh, and for the most part, he's right. Like, the last time he had a bad defense was when he took over the Vikings, and they had the 31st worst defense, or the 31st uh, best defense by, like, yards and points. And then, you know, he turned from that in 2013 to, like, 14th, right? And so that's the closest he got to having uh, a bad defense. He had a bunch of good defenses in Cincinnati, and so, yeah, it's really unusual, but he's never had to deal with this kind of roster turnover before. Um, and so that's a big part of it. It's just, you know, he's kind of unused to it because he coaches them all kind of the same way. But if you don't have that experience in the system, especially for these corners, that's part of it. And then, you know, you find a good rookie corner in Cameron Dancer, and then he just gets hurt, right, for two games. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really unusual. He's one of the only – defensive coordinators slash head coaches that has been able to maintain, you know, consistent defenses. Like, you know, you follow Ben Baldwin, obviously, you know, that like defenses are just very unsustainable. Um, But the Vikings have been a really weird, unique exception to that rule where they've put together top five defenses kind of year after year. And so this is kind of a shock to everybody that it just suddenly didn't happen. Yeah. No, when I think of the, some of the Seahawks, there's been some weird Seahawks Vikings games, but like, I thought the, uh, I think the 2018 one, where like I think both did both either both teams scored on defense or the Seahawks scored one of their th- two touchdowns on defense. I was like, this this makes sense. Uh, and I think last year the Seahawks put up a bunch of points, and I was like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Like I expect defense from both of these coaches right now, and it's very weird to see uh, a Zimmer team and a Pete Carroll team with like, wait, the defense isn't the strength. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they're both offensively driven teams right now, and I think. One of the coaches is handling that a little bit better than <laughs> I would say. Yeah, no, that's that that that's true. Uh, you know, flip flipping the side of the ball, you know, real quick. This is my favorite question that I ask to every guest um, when they cover an opposing team: Is the quarterback you cover good? Uh, well, you ask that of everybody, but that's like a uniquely difficult question to answer for. Oh us, yeah, right? I know, like, I know. Um, I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, generally speaking, yes. I think 
Um, but it like kind of depends. Like if you put Kirk Cousins in a bad environment, he's going to be worse than most starting quality quarterbacks are in a bad environment. Like you'd rather have a Deshaun Watson or something. You might even rather have a Case Keenum, like an objectively worse quarterback that happens to improvise a lot better. But if you put him in a really great environment, he'll be better than a ton of quarterbacks are in a great environment. And so he's very supporting cast dependent. And so when that supporting cast isn't there, say, you know, the right guard goes out to injury and you have to play apparently the worst right guard in the NFL, um, you know, that's going to be an issue. If you, if you gotten rid of, you know, either Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs, depending on the year, um, you're going to struggle for a little bit before you figure it out. And so um, it really depends on, on what it means to be a good quarterback, which I've never had like a philosophical answer to that question. But yeah, it, it, it really depends on the context. And then also like in the final two minutes of a game, no. But other than that, <laughs> like it's, it's interesting. You know, that said, this is like a weird kind of follow-up there, but I kind of think just my – I've only watched the Vikings a little bit this year because I feel like they keep playing when the Seahawks are playing. But – it seems like if they're going to have any success turning the ship around, they almost have to, like, be a passing team. It's 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 weird. I don't want to say, like, let Cousins cook because A doesn't have a ring to it and B, he's not as good as Russ. But you, you, get, you get what I'm getting at? Like, it almost feels like for them to fix this thing, they do have to lean on, on Kirk. No, that's absolutely true. And it's weird because there's actually – not a ton of in-season evidence that that should be the case. Dalvin Cook is outpacing Kirk Cousins in expected points once you get rid of garbage time. The Vikings have one of the most efficient running games in the league right now. I think they're like third or fourth in expected points. Um, and, you know, one of them is the Ravens, so they're always going to be the most efficient. Uh, and, uh, you know, Cousins, you know, for the first couple of weeks, struggled so much that he had negative, you know, expected Jesus. points. Uh, and so... Uh, and, and he's like leading the league in turnover worthy plays. But you're right. I think for any potential for the offense to consistently outscore, you know, what the defense is allowing, they absolutely need to, you know, subject themselves to kind of the higher variance that you get with passing and the greater capability of getting explosive plays because a bunch of six yard runs isn't going to get you to 35 points. Right. You need to get, you know, some 20 yard passes in there, which they did last week, right? So that's pretty good evidence that that's kind of what you need to do so you do need to throw the ball if you if you simply cannot be a ball control team and you have to accept that you might dig yourself into a hole and then you know that you can maybe dig yourself out of one because cousins you know for all his faults you know he's got a great arm he's pretty accurate he knows how to find deep targets so you can dig yourself out of holes if, if that's the thing you have what would be the biggest like uh the biggest issue with like implementing that like take like Zimmer basically having to turn into what Pete's turning into now would it be Kirk potentially struggling with higher volume or would it be him dying behind the O-line well so Kirk actually had one of the highest volumes in the league uh under John DeFilippo which is one of the reasons DeFilippo got fired um so uh but you know and and I wouldn't say he would necessarily struggle under high volume I think the issue with that offense was was that it was just a, a badly designed offense, and so the fact that it was high volume was kind of incidental to that. Mm. But he's had some pretty high volume years in Washington, so I don't think it's necessarily the case that that he would struggle under under high volume. So I think the biggest barrier would be that that Zimmer just kind of has to accept that that's kind of what the team is becoming now. Mm. And as stubborn as he always kind of seems to be, as a coach, he's always a little bit more dynamic than people kind of give him credit for. The the defense has changed 
radically over the last you know six or seven years that he's been uh, a Vikings coach. And so the coverage shell has changed. The the front has changed a little bit. Um, the types of blitzes that they do have changed. Like a lot of the defense has changed really significantly under Zimmer because he's a dynamic, adaptable coach in that regard. Um, but his coaching philosophy always seems to be kind of the same. But it seems like he's kind of giving Kubiak the reins to to be more aggressive. They called shots on like fourth fourth down, like fourth and short. They're like, yeah, have Cousins throw it deep. Seems like the right time. And that's not something we're kind of used to seeing from Zimmer. Like if you're going forward and fourth down, you're going to try to get that one yard that you need. But it, it does seem like he's kind of more open to it, which, again, the the vibe he gives off is never that he's flexible. But he's, I think, a lot more flexible than people give him credit for. I want to stick with the offense and – the Vikings trade away their number one receiver in Stephon Diggs, and I wanted to hear from you. Do you think that that trade is proving to be the right decision? I know the record says one and three, but looking at the production from Justin Jefferson and what Adam Thielen is still being able to do, would you say that that trade was the right decision to get Stephon out of there? I, I would say that for these four games that they've played, it was the it was a bad move. I think they would have won more games. But I think that for the next three years, I think given what Justin Jefferson looks like, it's probably the right move. Um, so, I mean, and, you know, I don't want to be like too certain about that. Jefferson's had two really great games, and that's kind of what we're basing this off of. But Jefferson's looking like he can be a consistent player. And if that's the case, he doesn't have to be as good as Diggs for it to be a good trade because of things like, you know, the contract concerns and the locker room concerns and, uh, and you know, kind of all the cascading parts of, of a trade. Uh, and so like the third round pick, right? So uh, I, I think that it's probably the right move to generate as many wins as possible in the future, but it is making 2020 really tough because I think they could have dug themselves out of that Packers game. I think they could have been more competitive out of, get, uh, out of the gate against the Colts. Um, and I think they would have won the, the Titans game. So... Um, not to say they go 4-0, but they would be much closer to winning one of those first few games, and I think they win that third game. So, yeah, I, it, it, it presented some challenges right away. I don't know if it's going to be good for the season, but I think long-term it's probably a good move. Um, I don't know how good it is to add a couple more wins if, if you're never going to get to the Super Bowl. I think Diggs maybe gets you there, but I don't know. Got it. And you wrote a really cool piece titled Inside Justin Jefferson's Red Hot Start. How good can the Vikings rookie be? Well, for some of our listeners that aren't subscribed to The Athletic, can you give them a little plug on how good you think Justin Jefferson can be based off just these two games where he seemed to flash something and show that, oh, this kid's got some talent? Yeah, um, he his start, so the first four games that he's had is the, the second best start any receiver's had in 17 years in terms of their first four active games in terms of total receiving yardage. And the best receiver is Stephon Diggs. Uh, and so uh, you have to go all the way back to, to Anquan Bolden, um, which I think people who remember watching him play remember like the very first, you know, him out of the gate was just remarkable. Uh, and, and so that's the comparison. And you take a look at all the receivers that have done about that well. And there's like 10 great hits, three like pretty okay guys, and then like two or three busts. Like it's, it's a really strong track record, even though it's only four games. So. Um, I don't, I, I, I still, you know, he's doing really well these, these past two games. I wouldn't project him to be as good as Stephon Diggs, um, especially this year. 
But uh, I would say, you know, that he's establishing himself right now. He's, he's currently operating as the most productive rookie receiver in the class. I would say he's on track to kind of matching what we're seeing out of Terry McLaurin, who is, I think, pretty underrated because of the quarterback he's playing with and already a pretty remarkable receiver. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And how do you think he'll fare against this struggling Seahawks defense that's still looking to find their identity? Maybe they did against Miami, but what are your expectations for him to go up against, whether it be Shaquille Griffin? Or if Quentin Dunbar is healthy, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Or if he's going up against Trey Flowers, how do you see that playing out? Well, I see it a lot better for him if he's going up against Flowers than, than Griffin. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, I think generally speaking, um, I don't know if he'll hit 100 again. That would be pretty remarkable. But I think he'll be generally pretty productive. I would, I would estimate maybe an 80-yard game, which is, I think, already ahead of where I would have estimated, you know, a week ago after he had 170 yards and said he's probably going to average 45 from here on out. Don't get too excited. But <laughs> now, now, I'm getting, now I'm getting a little bit more into it. So I, I think, you know, depending obviously on passing volume and all the other, you know, factors and all that, normal passing volume, you know, kind of normal situation, I would say that there's a chance for him to get about 80 yards. And if he gets above 100, then, you know, we can really talk about how good he's going to be. It seems that Adam Thielen, he's also – I mean, his first game, he came out and had 110 yards, six catches. And then the last game against Houston last week, he had eight catches, 114 yards. How is he handling his new role as a, I would say, the number one wideout and the leader of this wide receiving group? 
Yeah, well, he's always had kind of like, he's 30, right? A lot of people think that, that he's younger uh, because he broke out so late. Um, so he's always kind of had a, a veteran-ish role within um, the, the Vikings receiver unit. And it was always kind of up to him to kind of calm Stephon, uh, Stephon Diggs down. So while Diggs was the number one receiver in, in yardage and targets and all that last year, um, you know, Thielen was kind of the leader of the of the wide receiver room, and he actually outproduced Diggs for most of their years together in Minnesota. And so he's also the number one receiver um, by targets and by yards. Um, and and so the adjustment's not that big for him. I think you know teaching a receiver is kind of maybe a new adjustment because he's always. Um, you know, kind of developed alongside Diggs. Um, teaching kind of a premier receiver is, is kind of a different kind of role, but I think that he's adapting to it really well. And because, you know, so much of his game is built off of kind of the technical ability that he's developed over the years, and because he started from such a low floor as a technician, I mean, he was just a really bad technical receiver when he was a rookie. I think that that gives him kind of a unique insight into, into how to kind of grow and develop. And so I think that, his role both as just kind of a, a general leader as well as a teacher, um, I think kind of really suits him well and adapts to him well. Uh, and I'm kind of also reminded of uh, two years ago when he set the record for, for most 100 consecutive, uh, consecutive 100-yard games to start a year. Um, and so I know that like that kind of production, that kind of sustainability, and that level of production is something that he's kind of used to. You know, I want to uh, go big picture for the whole league for a second here because I just realized how much insight you've kind of been watching with the whole rest of the the league. Uh, offensively, it feels like the entire league is on freaking fire, right? Like, with the exception of, yeah. like, I mean, even the bad teams, honestly, other than the Jets are, like, moving the – maybe the uh, the Giants, too. Like, other than the two New York teams, even the bad ones are moving the rock, right? And defenses are struggling, even, like, some good ones. Why do you think that trend is? Do you think that's just because of the lack of a preseason and defenses are behind, or is it is it something more? Um, well, I, I think there's a, a couple of things. I think defenses are behind because of a lack of preseason. I think that that's a big part of it. Uh, and uh, there's a lot more communication errors and stuff like that. Um, I think there's a lot more blown coverages. Um, I think that the general talent drain on, on defense – um, so it gets stronger in the trenches than the offense, which has been kind of a problem. But I think generally speaking, you know, good athletes are getting moved to receiver instead of cornerback, which is kind of the opposite of how it used to be. Um, that plays a role. So general trends are playing a role. Um, but I think kind of one thing that's kind of going underrated is that referees are calling fewer offensive penalties for some reason this year. So mm. there's um, like uh, one less holding call per game, which, you know, that can be pretty significant depending on, you know, when you call the holding penalty uh, on the offense, but they're calling them at the kind of the same rate on the defense. And so that's also playing a role. Um, but I, I think the biggest factor is that there just doesn't seem to be the kind of coherence on defense that we're really used to seeing that allows, you know, really strong defenses to kind of rotate and disguise and and build complex coverages where they can pass people off in zones and stuff like that but yeah your intuition is right that the offense this year is just blazing and i think it's going to calm down every year we see a slight reduction in points as time goes on even for dome teams that are not affected by weather um and so i expect that's going to be just more dramatic this year but yeah, I mean, when I'm writing these pieces, I got to figure out kind of which quarterbacks to include. And it's like, well, you know, these eight quarterbacks all had a pass rating of above 115. You're going to have to cut four of them and everyone's going to be mad. So yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, no, that, have you seen it? So with the defenses or maybe individual players playing well, I want to actually, let's isolate the secondary of this question. With the secondary guys that you've seen play well or like secondaries 
as a whole playing well? Is there like some common theme? Is it the ones that have been together the most? Or is it just the guys who have this the most like just individual talent? Is there some theme with the defenses that have kind of weathered this offensive eruption? Um, yeah, I, I've been actually trying to look for kind of what that would be. Um, and I think some of it is like the defenses are kind of built around a little bit of chaos. So like the Ravens, for example, um, are doing really well. So if you blitz a lot like the Ravens do, it's just like, well, it kind of the coherence of the defense really didn't matter. We just had a bunch of good players. We asked them to play man coverage. We're good to go. Um, so that, that helps. Um, sometimes you kind of luck into some talent. I think the Chiefs did that at cornerback. That helps. But, yeah, the 49ers have been together. The Colts uh, have been together outside of you know, Xavier Rhodes, who they just added. Um, the Steelers have had, I, I think, a lot of uh, coherence together. And so they're the top defenses in the league right now. And so you take a look at the, the 49ers, the Steelers, and the Colts. They have a lot of individual talent. That plays a role. But, I mean, you know, the Chicago Bears have a lot of talent, and they're like ace in points allowed or something like that. And you think they'd be a little bit higher based off of what they've done historically. The Patriots have a lot of talent. Um, but their defenses are a little bit more complex. They require a little bit more communication. Um, and so I think some of it is just, you know, the kind of coaching that you have available to you uh, and uh, the amount of time they have uh, together. So, yeah, chemistry, I think, is is kind of validating that, that like, theory that maybe, you know, it has to do with a, a lack of a preseason. Um, but I think also the types of defenses that you see getting employed um, kind of play a role, too, because if they're just like, yeah, we're just going to throw a stick of dynamite into the offense and see what happens. If that's the defense, you don't really need a ton of prep. So um, that's kind of, I think, part of what we're seeing, too. As an honorary member of Seahawks Twitter, I'm sure you've been following the, the preseason hype with this team was that their passing defense was going to be really good. Like, I expected them to be, like, top 10 in DVOA this year. I think they're, like, 29th through four games, which is god-awful. God um, with that said, everything we're just talking about with the offense and defense is eventually catching up. Do you Is there some, like, maybe level for optimism that a, a Shaquille Griffin, Quentin Dunbar, Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, foursome – later in the season can be potentially dominant? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that kind of stick of dynamite thing that I was talking about, I think Jamal Adams is that. And so if he's healthy and kind of consistent, right, um, I think that that element means that you don't, again, have to worry that much about about the chemistry portion of it. Um, I think Shaquille Griffin is just fundamentally a good player. Um, and then Quandre Diggs is fundamentally a good player. Uh, and so I think that, you know, if – if all of this kind of like guessing is right, you know, that um, there's there's probably going to be uh, an increase in coherence of the defense over the year um, or as the year progresses, I think the Seahawks will benefit more than most because of the, the talent level of the players that they have. I actually, I've got no idea how talented Trey Flowers is. Like, it, that's an open question to me, so who knows? But I think the rest of that group um, is uh, is really talented. So I, I think that as time goes on, they'll they'll really, you know, mesh together really well. Each week, Mike and I, we we love to ask what other teams are doing to battle social justice, social injustice going around across America right now. We talked with Josh last week, and he mentioned that the Dolphins did a really cool social vi- social media video where they just explained what they plan on doing during the national anthem, and they actually are going to stay in the locker room and just had a powerful message. I wanted to hear what the Vikings have been or what they have done in that regard, if anything. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you about that video. Uh, it, was, it was really remarkable um, that, that the Dolphins put together. Um, so the Vikings, uh, over the years, traditionally have not been um, a very 
vocal team. I don't want to say they haven't been active because you, know, you never know kind of how active players always are unless they choose to share it. But um, as a team, and especially as a Minnesota Vikings organization, they just haven't been very vocal uh, until obviously this year because Minneapolis was uniquely impacted. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they've, they've done kind of the things that you expect big organizations to do. They, they you know, apportioned, uh, you know, some of the money of the owners to, to kind of dole out. Uh, and for the most part, they're, they've decided kind of where that money is going to go. Um, I don't know that they've, they've sent it out yet, but um, there, there's been some accounting for that. Um, but then also, you know, there have been kind of direct liaising with um, with uh, the Minneapolis chief of police, um, you know, Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr, um, who are both on the social justice committee, um, just kind of text the the commissioner, I guess, is a thing that happens now. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's that kind of open line of communication is something that they take pretty seriously. Um, beyond that, Kendricks has gotten um, really significantly involved in an organization designed to combat recidivism or, or you know, the, the likelihood that people will be uh, will cycle back into jails again and again and again, especially when it comes to people who enter um, the school to prison pipeline as, as juveniles. Uh, and so he's working with an organization that provides like job training and resources available for people just coming out of prison uh, and educational resources for people um, that uh, are, uh, you know, impacted by the school-to-prison pipeline. So there's a lot there with the specific organizations that Kendricks feels very strongly about. Um, and uh, they're kind of continuing to evolve what they want to do and what their message is going to be. Um, right now, they've just kind of um, stood firm in terms of their demands with uh, the state of Minnesota and the city of Minneapolis about um, charging the officers involved, um, which you know, that's happening. Um, so we'll kind of see kind of how that progresses forward and how the Vikings will react to that progress. But um, I would say, you know, the statements that the Vikings have put forth have been, I think, relative to the league, been adequate. I wouldn't say it's as powerful as the Ravens statement about kind of the specific pieces of legislation that the Ravens thought, they, uh, you know, would be effective in combating injustice. Um, I wouldn't say they put together a ton of media that's been as powerful as what uh, the Dolphins put together, but neither of they, I think, have fallen behind in any regard. And I think they're taking their role as a team in a community that's as impacted um, by, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd. I think they're taking that role very seriously, but they're kind of proceeding fairly cautiously. You know, it's almost, you know, the, the George Floyd aspect of it, I didn't even, I'm not even going to lie, I didn't even think about that until, like, just now. Obviously, this is, that's where, you know, he, he was killed. In that time, like, let's let's go back to May and, and June. Could you see, like, the Vikings, like, feel, feeling some, feeling obligated in some way to, like, oh, shoot, we got to, like, th- this matters that we got to do something right now because this happened in our backyard. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, if I'm being completely honest with you, in May, I wasn't thinking about the Vikings at all. Right, right. <laughs> fair enough. I was like, wow, that, that Popeyes that I went to, like, every week, that burned down. Jesus. Right. Uh, um, so, like, that's what I was thinking about. But, uh, you know, obviously, at some point, I circle back to, to my job, um, and I was thinking about the Vikings, and... I, w- I was really curious because they've been so slow I, historically um, dealing with this. And, uh, you know, they had zero players kneel for the anthem during the, the initial, like, Colin Kaepernick. Um, I don't even want to call it a controversy because I think it kind of justifies some some characterizations. But, you know, during um, all of the all of the media and, the, and, and all of the activism that was occurring around uh, Colin Kaepernick's choice to kneel, um, they had no players kneel. Uh, and, you know, there's no evidence that you know mike zimmer told them not to kneel or anything like that but it's very difficult to believe that 
the players, no players chose to do that of their own accord. And so um, they've been a very kind of buttoned up organization and then it just kind of hits them in their backyard. And I was honestly extremely curious because I had no idea what the Vikings would do. I just knew that they would be aware because they've got a very forward PR team that they would be aware that they would have a kind of a unique responsibility among uh, NFL teams um, to kind of respond to this. And to their credit, um, you know, they have, they, they put together, or they didn't just put together social justice. They had a social justice committee already put together, um, and and they gave them a lot more free reign, and they gave players a lot more free reign to uh, express themselves. And so, uh, as one kind of example of how that's changed, they had eleven players kneel during the national anthem, you know, last weekend, which is a very weird kind of quantitative metric to use, but it right. is something. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I was really you know curious right about you know what the vikings would do um but um they, they're kind of like kind of steered in my eye uh, in my eyes the middle course of the potential directions they could have gone in so um i guess as expected yeah no that, that's kind of what i would expect from any team outside of like the cowboys i think jerry jones would act like it wouldn't exist um but yeah it, that's it's it's less than obviously a lot of people would want including uh, including myself but you know I I understand it's a it's a process but yeah that is the, when the when you're a team like Minnesota like right at the heart of whatever the whole country is like that I mean shoot your own city is burning down like yeah you got to you got to you got to do something so you're under your unique microscope there um I want to pivot to one more football question uh, actually a couple before we get out of here um we always do an over under with all of our guests um Chris put me in charge of the over-under this week, so we'll see how it goes. I'm going I'm to go with this. Let me know what you think. Uh, over-under 115 total yards for Dalvin Cook. Don't forget that half. 115 and a half. Let's <laughs> go with that. Oh, yeah, 115.5. Yep. Um, I go over. Um, the Vikings just lean on him so much. Uh, you got 181 yards week three. Um, he hit the over on 115.5 uh, week four. Um, it's it's something that they feel you know really significantly important about. So they'll find them some way to get the ball. So I'll, I'll say over. All right, Chris, that sounded good, right, Chris? That good. Sounded good. One fifteen we'll and see, a half. We'll see what happens. Right now, the athletic staff is one and two because Josh he went with Fitzpatrick going with the over on three hundred three hundred sixty and a half passing yards. He only had three fifteen. We shall see what happens come Sunday night. Uh, yeah, no, I, I will. To be for anyone wondering, I did. I put the under over under so low just because the Seahawks have been kind of shutting down the number one running backs. Yes. Uh, so I, I've, I'm kind of anticipating that trend continue. I think they're like top eight or so in rushing uh, de- uh, defense DVOA. That's so they're pretty good. Um, last thing, Arif. Actually, two last things. One, how stressed are you going to be deciding which team to root for? Um, oh my god! On, on Sunday, on Sunday night. Let's start with that. Like, is this gonna? Is this a tough time for you here? Like, is the love of DK Metcalf gonna conflict with the love for Adam Thielen? Like, how how is that gonna go on Sunday night for you? I'm not gonna have <laughs> any problem at all with any of this. <laughs> all right. The last last thing. Man. Give us a pre- <laughs> give us a prediction. Who you got? Give us a score. Uh yeah, Seahawks by like ten or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think that covers. What's that? You know the spread, Chris? On top of your head? No. Yeah, I can look it up. The spread for this. I week think it's se- like seven and a half. I think. Oh, wow, it's, really? It's, it's actually seven. Wow. Oh, that's, wow. That's a you lot. Can push. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a lot. Uh, Arif, we appreciate you joining us, man. Again, everyone listening right now, take out your phone. Go to Twitter, follow not just not just because for the Seahawks Twitter aspect of it. Again, I mentioned all the things, all the uh, hats Arif wears for us, man. It's great. It's great stuff. 
really knowledgeable. It makes you, I, I learned, I told uh, somebody earlier today before uh, we had him on the show, I said, I learned something. Every time him and Ben Baldwin write something, I learned something. Whether I agree or not, it's whatever. I learned something, though. It's one little thing. So I uh, appreciate you joining us. Are you, real quick, are you verified on Twitter? Uh, yeah, I am. Oh, wow, Chris, that's another guest that is verified <laughs> on Twitter. And that's, huh, wow, you're on your, you're on your, what's your, what's your Twitter, man? I've been shouting it out. Let people know where to follow you. Yeah, it's Arif Hassan NFL. Uh, you know, the the name is not pretty typical for people, so I'll spell it out. A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL. That's it. Uh, and just as a side note, I've been verified for like years now, so that's no big deal. Wow, yeah. Well, we're, we're trying to get Chris verified here. He's the only one. Uh, not verified. We're, we're working on it, man. But thank, thank, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. Thank you guys all for tuning in to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Uh, we will catch you guys on Sunday night after, according to Arif, the Seahawks beat the Vikings by 10 or something. We're out. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com